Hey, welcome back to the Ascent Church Podcast. We have a great episode for you. So let's get to it. A lot of times I'd fall asleep during the sermon and uh, I'd miss the slides and then my pastor would be kind of like trying to extend the sermon until I got the right slide up there and I'd be like, oh wait, I'm supposed to be doing my job right now and I'd have to do it. So I want you to give a hand to our sound guys because this is not fun for them. But I actually, so I view this as an opportunity because uh, for a long time I've been saying to people, you know, I think it'd be cool if I preached first and then we sang because if I do my job right, you guys should sing really loudly. Like if I, if I preach the word of God in such a way that you see God more clearly, then the only response to that is that you're going to sing and you're going to worship and it's going to be uh, awesome. So Hopefully today we get to experience that. I'm going to preach, and uh, here's the good news. Even if the sermon's not good, at least you get to end with awesome music. So uh, it should be a win-win for everybody in this room. Now, we are in Mark chapter 11, and we are going all the way through the entire chapter 11, and then the first 12 verses of chapter 12, and we are actually today finishing uh, our series called New Normal, which is a seven-part series through the Gospel of Mark. Uh, And we'll start next week, kind of the final series in the Gospel of Mark leading up to Easter, which is four weeks away. So be thinking about people you can invite and bring to our Easter service. Uh, It's going to be awesome. I'm super excited about it. But today we're going to see that Jesus fundamentally changes the way in which we relate to God. Uh, A lot of the talk in this text is about the temple. And the temple for the Jewish mindset, and really honestly the temple for every other religion mindset, is the temple is where God meets with humanity. Like it's this place on earth where heaven meets with earth. And Jesus says there's going to be a brand new way of doing that. And today we're going to see that he turns really religion on its head, and it's really going to be uh, quite disconcerting for the people who make a lot of money off of religion. And uh, all you guys standing up are really making me nervous. If you could sit down, that'd be be awesome. I feel like you guys are about to mob me in the back. There's Yes, we do. By Miss Boomer even. Uh, up front. So Mark chapter 12, uh, ver- 11 verse 1 is where we'll, we'll jump in with this text. And today I have two goals. I want to I want to show you the new temple. I also want to show you how to read your Bible. So we're going to look at a lot of weird stuff that it makes no sense to us because we don't know our Old Testament. Uh, and you'll find that people just make stuff up when they don't know what the Bible says. So they're like, well, I think this means that. And really, it's not that confusing if we just go back and we look at the Old Testament scriptures and we see where Jesus is coming out of. So uh, there's a lot of weird stuff in here. I'm going to try to explain it to the best of my ability. And uh, if, if you don't like what I say, then you can tell me where you get what you get. And maybe we could teach each other something today. So Mark chapter 11, starting in verse 1. I'm going to pray for us real quick, uh, and then we'll jump in. Father, thank you for sending your son to make a way for us to uh, have relationship with you. Uh, Lord, that we can uh, commune with you without having to go to a physical temple. Uh, Lord, but the temple is your people. Lord, thank you uh, for the many blessings that you've given us. I pray that you'd be with me as I preach today. pray that you would uh, put your words in my mouth, that I would say what you want me to say. Uh, Lord, that the people would uh, hear what you need them to hear. Lord, I pray that you'd open the eyes and the ears of people's hearts today, that they might be enlightened uh, to your word and to your gospel. It's in your name I pray. Amen. Mark chapter 11, starting in verse 1, it says, When they, they being the disciples, approached Jerusalem at Bethage and Bethany near the Mount of Olives. If you have a Bible, you should circle that. Mount of Olives. We're going to come back to that. By the way, if you don't have a Bible and you want one, there should be one under your seat. That's our gift to you. Uh, If you don't have a Bible, you can take that one home. 
So it says, near the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples and he told them, go into the village ahead of you. As soon as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there on which no one has ever set. Untie it and bring it. If anyone says to you, why are you doing this? Say, the Lord needs it and will send it back here right away. It's like a, a little bit of Grand Theft Donkey here. Then he tells his disciples, go out and, uh, and steal these donkeys for me. Verse four. So they went and found a colt outside in the street tied by a door. They untied it. And some of those standing there said to them, what are you doing untying the colt? They answered them just as Jesus had said, so they let them go. Which, by the way, like, don't, don't just go over that verse. That is a weird and funny verse, right? Like, can you imagine being those guys uh, who own the donkey? And these guys you've never met in your life come up to you, and they just start untying your donkey and taking it away. And you're like, hey, what's going on? Why are you taking my donkey? Uh, the Lord needs it. And, and, and then the craziest part to me is the guy's like, oh, okay, cool. Yeah, you have it. You know, it's like, what in the world is going on here? And why is Mark even telling us these details? Verse 7. They brought the donkey to Jesus, and they threw their clothes on it, and he sat on it. And again, this is where knowing how to read your Bible is going to come in very, very handy. Because Jesus didn't just take a donkey because he wants a donkey. He took a donkey because he's actually fulfilling Old Testament scripture. So if we look back at Zechariah uh, chapter 9, verse 9, it says this. It says, Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion, which is like Jerusalem. Shout in triumph, daughter Jerusalem. Look, your king is coming to you. He is righteous and victorious, humble, and look at this, and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the fool, the fowl of a donkey. That Jesus is saying, I am that king. As he rides into Jerusalem, he is fulfilling the prophecy of Zechariah, that the king of the universe would come not on a stallion, but on a lowly donkey. And as we keep reading, verse 8, it says, many people spread their clothes. I'm back in Mark now, if you're following along. Many people spread their clothes on the road. And others spread leafy branches cut from the fields. Now, why in the world would they spread their clothes on the ground? Well, again, we can make stuff up or we could look and see where else this is mentioned in the Bible. And we actually find in 2 Kings chapter 9, verse 13, Mark is telling us yet another thing about Jesus by including this detail. Uh, 2 Kings chapter 9, verse 13 says, Each man quickly took his garment and put it under Jehu on the bare steps. They laid out their garments. Why? Because of this. They blew the ram's horn and proclaimed... Jehu is king. See, a way of showing that the king of Israel was here was for the people to lay out their garments for the king to step on so that he wouldn't have to step on the ground. And here we see the people laying down their garments. Now, I think it's really interesting that, that Mark includes that the people were laying down things from, cut from the field. Why would he say that? Because this king is not like the kings of this world. Jesus comes not for the urban elite, but he comes for the rural peasants. The people from the fields are the ones rejoicing as Jesus comes into town. It's not the religious leaders. It's not the political leaders. It's not the super wealthy and the elite, the, the in crowd, if you will. No, it's the guys from the fields that are celebrating because Jesus has come as king. And we see what they're shouting, and they're actually shouting a couple of Old Testament texts. Verse 9, it says, Those who went ahead and those who followed shouted, Hosanna, which is an Old Testament prayer that means, Save us. Save us, Lord. Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. That's a direct quote from a psalm. Verse 10, it says, Blessed is the coming kingdom. Again, he's a king riding in on a colt. And here's his kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest heaven. And then verse 11, we see a huge scripture that we'll just read over if we don't know our Old Testament. But this is a fulfillment of massive prophecy, what we're about to read. It says this, He went into Jerusalem, and the first thing he does is this, and into the temple. After looking around at everything, since it was already late, 
he went out to Bethany with the twelve. Now, I know you guys remember all the way back to August, the first sermon I preached on Mark. But I'll just remind you, just in case maybe some of you have slept since then and forgot. uh, The Gospel of Mark opens with two quotations. It's quotations from Malachi chapter 3 and Isaiah chapter 40. And if we look at Malachi chapter 3, we see that Jesus has now fulfilled what Mark said he would all the way back in chapter 1. Look at what Malachi chapter 3, 1 says. It says, See, I am going to send my messenger, and he will clear the way before me. We learn that that was talking about John the Baptist. And then it says this, Then the Lord you seek will suddenly come. And where will he come? He will come to his temple. The messenger of the covenant you delight and see he is coming, says the Lord of armies. And here's Jesus fulfilling that prophecy. The Lord has come. But it's really quite anticlimactic, actually. See, because the disciples and everybody up to this point, they're thinking, here we go. Armageddon is about to begin. Jesus is about to lay down the law to these guys. As he arrives at the temple, he's on the donkey. We've laid out our garments. We've cut the leaves. He's going to do everything he's supposed to do. And then what happens? He arrives to the temple. He looks around. Then it says he leaves. Like, can you imagine being the disciples? The excitement of what's going on? Be like, you know, the the Super Bowl parade. The players are out there. The game's about to start. Tom Brady walks out to win his 50th Super Bowl. And then he says, nah, I'm just going to go home. It's like super anticlimactic. He looks around, he walks away. And And then Mark introduces this very weird thing that, again, if we don't read our Old Testaments, it makes no sense to us. He starts talking about a fig tree. Look at this. It's just so random. The next day... When they went out from Bethany, he was hungry, he being Jesus. Seeing in the distance a fig tree with leaves, he went to find out if there was anything on it. When he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for it was not the season for figs. He said to it, may no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard it. When I first read this, I thought, man, Jesus, kind of angry when you're hungry. Maybe think of those old snicker commercials. You know, it's like, (laughs) you're not yourself when you're hungry. It's like Jesus just cursing out this fig tree because he's hungry, right? Like, I mean, well, what is going on here? And we find out that really Mark is trying to point out something that if we knew our Old Testament, if we were Jewish boys and girls raised up in the prophets, oh, cool. Is it working? Yes. Awesome. Everybody clap for the sound team. Good job, guys. Hallelujah. I'm going to keep preaching, though, if that's all right with you guys. We're already this far into it. Might as well just keep going. Uh, so he, he come, in the Old Testament, the Jewish boys and girls would have known uh, that in the prophet Micah, it talks about the Lord coming. And when the Lord comes, like when he comes to his temple, it's like a person who comes to a fig tree that's hungry and doesn't find what is supposed to be there. It's like this. It's like uh, when well, I'll just give you an example from my own life. My wife and I are trying to eat healthy, which I feel really good about in the morning when I'm motivated. But at night, I'm really mad that we're doing that uh, because I go home and I open the freezer and there's no cookies. I open the, the fridge and there's, there's nothing sweet to drink. I, you know, I open the cupboards and there's no ding-dongs or there's nothing there for me to eat that I want. It's just cashews. And I don't want cashews when I'm hungry. And then Mark is pointing out the fact that Jesus comes to the temple and when he looks around, it's just like somebody who's opening the cupboards looking for something delightful and fulfilling to eat and they can't find anything. The God of this universe comes to the place where... He is supposed to dwell, and humanity is supposed to encounter him, and he does not find what is supposed to be there. If you don't believe me, we can just keep reading on because we find that out. So we read in verse 12. I'm sorry, verse 15. It says, they came to Jerusalem. This is right after what I just read. It says, they came to Jerusalem, and he, being Jesus, went into the temple. And now Jesus goes a little Chuck Norris on him. And he began to throw out. Thank you. That was funnier in my head than you responded. 
began to throw out those buying and selling. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the chairs of those selling doves and would not permit anyone to carry goods through the temple. He was teaching them, is it not written, and he quotes some more Old Testament here, my house will be called a house of prayer for all the nations, but you have made it, and this is from Jeremiah, a den of thieves. I love this picture as we keep reading verse 18. The chief priests and scribes heard it and started looking for a way to kill him, for they were afraid of him because the whole crowd was astonished by his teaching. Whenever evening came, they would go out of the city. And I've, I've heard this text kind of referred to as like Jesus was surprised at what he found. Like they, they came to the temple and he's surprised to see that money is being exchanged. And really Jesus wouldn't have been surprised at all because this is just what you did. The temple was a place where a lot of money was exchanged. And here's why. And uh, when we preached through Leviticus a long time ago, uh, which I know you guys don't remember because Leviticus is hard to remember anyways. I was like, I'm going to plant a church and I'm going to start with the book of Leviticus. If you ever plant a church, I'd recommend not starting with Leviticus. Uh, you just write that down in your notebook somewhere. But in Leviticus, we found out that the way people were made right with God is through offering certain things. That to, to be in the presence of God, to be purified, to be cleansed, they had to sacrifice certain birds and animals and grains to the God of this universe. Well, over time, that became very kind of hard for people who lived out in the rural area to carry all of these things with them all the way to the temple in Jerusalem. So like, think about if we were here in Woodward and we had to go to Oklahoma City to the temple, it'd be really hard to carry like four or five turtle doves and a lamb with us. So what we would do instead is we would go to Oklahoma City, we'd go to the temple, and they would have lambs and turtle doves for sale there at a reasonable price. And I'd buy what I needed to sacrifice right there at the temple. And so Jesus comes in, and he looks around, and he says, this has become a place for a den of thieves. You guys don't even care about the people. You don't even care about the sacrifices. You just care about the exchanging of money. And Jesus goes in, and he begins to flip over the tables. And you just got to imagine how amazing this scene would be, like how blasphemous this scene would be. It'd be like if somebody came into our gathering right now, and they begin to kick over my, my little pulpit table thing here and throw down the Bible and, and, and really make a mess of everything in here and say, this is a den of thieves. We would say, no, this is what we're supposed to be doing, and you're the one who's messing everything up. And yet I love this picture we get of Jesus. You could just see this little old lady carrying in her turtle doves. And Jesus would not permit her to carry her goods through the temple. Like, can, you, can you imagine the picture we have here as Jesus comes in? And here's why Jesus is doing this. Jesus is coming and he's saying, this is no longer the way in which people are made right with God. There's no longer a need for you to buy and sell things to sacrifice. Why? Well, because the author of Hebrews tells us Jesus is the spotless lamb sacrifice that we've been waiting for. See, all those sacrifices actually weren't doing anything in and of themselves to get us right with God. They were just a symbol, a shadow, a sign of what was to come. A Savior, Jesus, who would live the perfect life that I could not live, die the death I deserve to die, so that I might be made right with God. This is why I'm not a priest. It's why I'm not Father Blake. I'm just Pastor Blake. It's why you guys don't bring me sacrifices for me to send up to God, because you don't need me as an intermediator anymore. You have Jesus. He's the ultimate sacrifice, the one way to God. And now Jesus says this whole temple structure, it's not necessary anymore. Which is why you can see in the latter verses why it said for one of the first times in the Gospel of Mark that they wanted to kill him. Can you imagine why the guys making money off of the temple system would not like a guy saying the temple system wasn't needed anymore? I mean, can you imagine that? Like, I know we don't have any politicians like that today at all. Uh, so I want you guys to try to wrap your mind around corruption. And as these people 
look at Jesus, he is a threat to their very power structure and their very wealth structure, and they sought to kill him. And what we see in this whole section of the Gospel of Mark is the walls are beginning to close in on Jesus. As he gets closer and closer and closer and closer to the crucifixion, the people are getting angrier and angrier and angrier and angrier, and they're pushing in on him and on him. And it's not because Jesus couldn't stop them, it's because Jesus wouldn't stop them, because he was ordained to die. He had to be the sacrifice so that I could trust in Jesus. And praise God for that, friends. I don't have to remember every sin that I've ever done and and make sure I have the right amount of birds or the right amount of grain for those sacrifices. No, Jesus said on the cross of Calvary, it is finished once and for all. His blood purifies us. And then after this, Jesus goes back to the fig tree. Mark brings us back. This is one of those famous Mark sandwiches where he starts a story and then he waits to finish it until a little bit. And the thing in the middle is really the point of everything. And we see that as we keep reading. Verse 20, it says, Early in the morning as they were passing by, they saw the fig tree withered from the roots up. Then Peter remembered and said to him, Rabbi, look, the fig tree you cursed has withered. He's you got to love Peter. I mean, can you imagine? <laughs> These guys are walking back. It's got to be pretty solemn. I mean, Jesus has just lost his mind. Uh, you know, like, they've got to be embarrassed. Jesus went into the temple. He's, like, knocking over stuff. Uh, we find out in the other Gospels he made a whip. Uh, like, Jesus, in the other Gospels, it's a really cool picture because Jesus is just sitting there making a whip. Like, can you imagine all the disciples just standing there on Jesus? Hey, what, what, what are you doing? Jesus is just sitting there quietly making his whip. It's like, what? Are we, are we about to get paddled or something? Like, what's going on? And, and then Jesus goes and he goes insane on these guys. The temple people want to kill them. And now they're walking back after a long day of not really understanding what in the world just happened. And Peter's like, hey, but look at the fig tree you cursed. It's withered. <laughs> what does this have to do with anything? And why would Mark put it in the story? Well, again, if we are Bible readers of not just the New Testament, but the Old Testament, we see that it has very important Uh, connotations to it as we read. Look at this. This is from Isaiah chapter 40. Remember I told you at the beginning of Mark, there was two places Mark quoted, Malachi 3, and the other one was Isaiah 40. So we see Jesus fulfilling more prophecy. Verse 3, it says, A voice, this is Isaiah 40, A voice of one crying out, Prepare the way of the Lord in the wilderness, make straight a highway for our God in the desert. Again, that's referring to John the Baptist who came before Jesus to prepare his way. Verse 4, Every valley, or sorry, uh, actually I want Isaiah 34, 4, I'm going to come back to Isaiah 40. That was a little plot or a little uh, teaser for you. Uh, it says, "All the stars in the sky will dissolve. The sky will roll up like a scroll, and its stars will all wither, at, and its stars will all wither as leaves wither on the vine and foliage on the fig tree." It's a it's a quote about judgment against the temple, and what does it refer to it as? As a fig tree. Or look at Jeremiah chapter eight, verse thirteen. This is God speaking. I will gather them and bring them to an end. Who? The temple leaders. This is the Lord's declaration. There will be no grapes on the vine. Look at this. No figs on the fig tree, and even the leaf will wither. Whatever I have given them will be lost to them. What Jesus is saying here through this little fig tree illustration is absolutely massive and mind-blowing to any Jewish person listening. That he's not coming just to restore the temple to make it better, but he's abolishing the whole temple system. Everything about the way they've done their religion is about to change. And as we keep reading in verse 22, uh, Jesus says this really strange thing that I, for honestly, this whole week, I really struggle with to see how it fit in with what was going on here. And it's one of those things where, like, you've probably heard this verse. You maybe have used this verse. A lot of people put this verse on, like, Facebook or it's on a coffee mug somewhere. And I really think we're kind of missing the point of the verse. So I'm not trying to ruin your coffee mug, uh, but just stick with me here. 
Verse 22, Jesus replied to them, have faith in God. Truly, I tell you, if anyone says to this mountain, be lifted up and thrown into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, it will happen. It will be done for him. Therefore, I tell you, everything you pray, ask for and believe that you have received it and it will be yours. Now, this verse has been used all my life uh, to say, if you don't have what you want to have, it's because you don't have enough faith. This verse has been abused in some very awful, evil ways. Like the reason you have cancer is because you don't have enough faith. Because if you just had a little bit of faith, you could move a mountain. Or the reason you don't have any money is because you don't have any faith. If you just had a little bit of faith, you could move a mountain. Come on, Blake, just have a little bit of faith and you could, you could move a mountain. Which I think people mean to be encouraging, but it's not very encouraging when somebody you love has died from something and you're telling that person indirectly they didn't have enough faith. It's not really all that comforting to that kind of person. Is that what Jesus is saying? And by the way, I'll just say here, I've never seen anybody move a mountain with their faith, like literal mountain. I cannot find one person in the history of the world who's moved a mountain with their faith. And you say, Blake, Jesus is just using hyperbole. Yeah, maybe, but I don't know that. And why would he say something like that if he didn't mean it? So there's got to be something meaning here that's deeper than what we see on the surface. And in fact, if we go back to the Old Testament, we find out that there is. As we look at a couple of these verses, look at Isaiah 56, 6 through 7. It says, as for the foreigners, remember this is way before Jesus prophesying about what Jesus would do. As for the foreigners who join themselves to the Lord to minister to them, to love the name of the Lord and to become his servants, all who keep the Sabbath without desecrating it and who hold firmly to my covenant, look at this, I will bring them to my holy mountain, my holy mountain, and let them rejoice in my house of prayer. So what is he referring to as the mountain? The temple is being referred to as the mountain. We can look through all Old Testament. The temple is often called the holy mountain of the Lord. And it says, Their burnt offerings and sacrifices will be acceptable on my altar, for my house will be called the house of prayer for all nations. That's the thing Jesus even quoted earlier in this text. Or Isaiah 40, 3-5, which I started to read to you earlier, a little early. A voice of one crying out, Prepare the way of the Lord in the wilderness. Make straight a path for the highway for our God in the desert. Again, referring to John the Baptist. Every valley will be lifted up and every mountain and hill will be leveled. The mountains will be moved. The mountains will be destroyed. The uneven ground will become smooth and the rough places a plain. And the glory of the Lord will appear and all humanity together will see it for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Are you starting to see what Jesus is talking about when he's talking about moving mountains? He's not talking anything about your cancer or your money or your next job adventure or whatever. I'm not saying you don't need faith in those things. I'm just saying that's not what Jesus is talking about here. What Jesus is talking about here is the temple system is about to be destroyed. Look at Zechariah 14.4. On that day, his feet, the, the Lord, will stand on the Mount of Olives. Remember what I told you to circle at the beginning? Where did Jesus say they were headed? The Mount of Olives, which faces Jerusalem on the east. The Mount of Olives will be split in half from east to west, forming a huge valley, so that half of the mountains, look at this, the mountains will move to the north and half to the south. The mountains will move. What did Jesus just say if we prayed and had faith would happen? The mountains would move. What is Jesus talking about here? He's talking about, hey, the way you've been doing religion, that place where you say God and humanity meets, that's no more. In my kingdom, there's a brand new normal, and it has huge implications for all of us sitting in this room. And as we continue on, again, there are a couple people who don't like what Jesus is doing, and it's those people who are the ones making a profit off of the way things have always been. They're not really interested in tradition changing because tradition has served them very well. Verse 25. 
sorry, verse 24. It says, therefore, I tell you, everything you pray and ask for, believe that you have it and it will be yours. And whenever you stand praying, if you have anything against anyone, forgive him so that your father in heaven will also forgive you your wrongdoing. Look, if, there, if there's no temple anymore, then what, what, what do we as priests, because now Jesus has made us all priests, it's a priesthood of all believers. I'm not Father Blake. Uh, I'm just Pastor Blake. We're all priests in Christ Jesus. So what do we offer up if Jesus is already the offering for us? Well, Jesus says the prayers you pray are prayers of forgiving other people. My duty as a priest in the, in the new covenant kingdom of Jesus Christ is to be a person of forgiveness, of mercy, and grace. That's a lot more difficult than just bringing a couple turtle doves, honestly. Like, I, I, could, I could bring turtle doves. You could twist their head off and throw them in a fire. That's fine. But you want me to really forgive that person at work? Like you, you want me to forgive that person? You don't even know what they did to me. Like, if I were to stand up here and tell you what they did to me, you guys would all be in tears and say, man, I can't believe that you haven't killed that person already. Like, like we have stories like that. We all have people that are just super hard to forgive. And, and Jesus says, yeah, the, the new offering is that you forgive them the way that I have forgiven you. Super powerful. Verse 27 and your Bible might have verse 26. Uh, the reason why some Bibles don't have all the verses, so it'll skip, like in the newer translations from 25 to 27. This is just a little bit extra, by the way. This isn't even in the sermon. I'm just giving you this part for free because I'm wearing my preaching boots and I feel a little fired up. Uh, is uh, that as we find new manuscripts that are actually older, that are closer to the ones that were actually written down, we find out that over time, some things were added in. It doesn't change the Bible in any way, like in the meaning of it, but over time, sometimes the the early church would kind of add a couple verses here or there that have really no impact on the overall manuscripts. If you have a Bible with those verses, it's not a bad thing. But that's why the editors now, they're trying to give the most... Uh, the, the best possible version of what the actual Word of God was when it was originally written, that's why they leave some verses out. Uh, and some people say, look, they're leaving verses out because uh, they, they don't want to preach the whole truth. Well, they leave out random verses. Like, if I was going to leave out verses, I'd probably leave out half of Leviticus, not verse 26 of Mark. But that's neither here nor there. All right, verse 27. They came again, this, the disciples, to Jerusalem. As he was walking in the temple, the chief priests and the scribes and the elders, these are the bad guys, these are the guys we don't like, came and asked him, by what authority are you doing these things? Who gave you this authority to do these things? In other words, hey, guys, he just destroyed our temple. Who does that guy think he is anyways? Like, what just happened here? So they go to Jesus and say, by what authority, who gives you the right to say our temple system is no more? And Jesus answers their question with a question because he's awesome like that. Jesus said to them, I will ask you one question, then answer me. And I will tell you by what authority I do these things. And he asked about John the Baptist. Was John's baptism from heaven or of human origin? Answer me. And they discussed it among themselves. And just imagine them getting a little huddle. Hey, guys, what should we say now? We didn't expect him to ask us a question. (laughs) Verse 31. If we say from heaven, he will say, then why didn't you believe him? But if we say of human origin, they were afraid of the crowd because everyone thought that John was truly a prophet. So they answered Jesus, we don't know. And Jesus said to them, neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. That's a mic drop for Jesus right there. Uh, And we we see here that the people who are supposed to be serving the mass people, the temple leaders, they're actually, they don't even care about the people, right? They they just want the people to continue to serve them. They're, They're not, they're not worried about saying the right thing. They're worried about saying the right thing to keep the people to like them, which again, reminds me quite a bit of politicians and the way we kind of structure our world here in in, in the West, right? It's like you can get so caught up. And, and look, even for the guy standing on stage, this isn't just like politicians out there. I can, in my own heart, 
begin to think about certain specific people when I'm preaching a sermon. And I'm more worried about, are they going to be offended at what I'm saying versus is this actually what I'm supposed to say? And we can get off on, on a trail of, uh, do I do what is right, like really right, like the truth of what Jesus says, or am I just doing what's right to keep people liking me? And we see here the temple leaders have fully went the route of politician. We don't want to say this because the people won't like us, so we'll just say, I don't know. And Jesus uses that to his benefit, and then he tells a parable. That really should make a lot of sense now because he's just going to kind of repeat everything that's happened, but in parable form. And I'm going to give you a little bit of homework in your Old Testament reading this week. Go read Isaiah chapter 5, just verses 1 through 7, and then come back and read Mark 12, 1 through 12, and you'll be like, hey, that's plagiarism, Jesus, uh, because he is literally just quoting Isaiah here a little bit. So as we jump in, let's see. He began to speak to them in parables. A man planted a vineyard, put a fence around it, and dug out a pit for the wine press. By the way, the man is God in this story. And built a watchtower. Then he leased it to tenant farmers and went away. At harvest time, he sent a servant to the farmers to collect some of the fruit of the vineyard from them. But they took him and beat him and sent him away empty-handed. Again, he sent another servant to them, and they hit him on the head and treated him shamefully. Then he sent another, and they killed that one. He also sent many others, and some they beat and others they killed. He still had to send one more, a beloved son. So far, so far in the story, what Jesus is referring to is all the prophets he sent. That the, the people have, the, the leaders uh, of the, the religious structure have kind of messed things up, and God has over time sent prophets to try to correct the ship, and what do they do with all the prophets? They kill the prophets. They hate the prophets because the prophets come to take away their money and get them to do what is right, not just right for them. And now in this story, it says, God finally sent a beloved son. Anybody have any ideas who that might be? If your answer is Jesus, you'd be correct. If I ask a question in a church building, you just like, you just always say Jesus. 99% of the time, you're going to be right. And even if you're wrong, you're still kind of right. So just kind of go with that. I'm giving you guys a lot of free tips today. Verse six, he has still had one to send, a beloved son. Finally, he sent him to them saying, they will respect my son. But those tenant farmers said to one another, this is the heir. Come, let's kill him and the inheritance will be ours. We get rid of Jesus. There's nobody else to stop us. So they seized him, killed him, threw him out of the vineyard. What then will the owner of the vineyard do? He will come and kill the farmers and give the vineyard to others. Do you see what's going on? He will kill the farmers and give it to others. In other words, he will kill the temple system and there will be a new way of relating to God. There will be a new way in which God meets with humanity on earth. That this structure, this thing that's serving the temple leaders, no longer. There will be new temple leaders. There will be a new temple. And in verse 10, it says, haven't you read this scripture? And he's quoting the Old Testament. It says, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This came about from the Lord and is wonderful in our eyes. Verse 12, it says, they were looking for a way to arrest him, but feared the crowd because they knew he had spoken this parable against them. So they left him and went away. This quote from the Old Testament about Jesus being the cornerstone is used in a couple other New Testament verses that I want to read for you because this is where it really becomes super important for you and I. This is where it becomes uh, actually life-changing for us if we understand what Jesus is saying. 1 Peter 2, verses 4 through 7. Remember, the Gospel of Mark is the story of who? It's the story of Peter. Peter is telling John Mark what happened. That's where Mark gets his information, is from Peter. And so Peter, in his own little letter, writes this. He says, as you come to him, he's talking to us, the church, a living stone, rejected by people, but chosen and honored by God, you yourselves, as living stones, a spiritual house, are being built to be a holy priesthood. So, you're a priest. Welcome. 
I just, I'm never going to do that again. It's like the Catholic gang sign, and I'm, I'm not Catholic. <laughs> I love Catholics, though. I mean, they're, they're great people. Uh, are being built into be a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. I really should consider taking my medicine before I preach, not after. But that's just, sometimes I'm like, what am I even saying? Verse 6. For it stands in Scripture, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and honored cornerstone, and the one who believes in him will never be put to shame. So honor will come to you who believe, but for the unbelieving, the stone that the builders rejected. Here's the quote. This is the one that has become the cornerstone. Do you see what Peter said? This is amazing. Verse 5, he said Jesus is the cornerstone, and the new temple is what? It's us. We are the stones that build the new temple. The temple isn't a place anymore. It's a people. Look at Ephesians 2, 19 through 22. The Apostle Paul says it even more clearly. Verse 19. So then you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of God's household. Look at this. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the what? As the cornerstone. In him, the whole building being put together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you are also being built together for God's dwelling in the spirit. This is phenomenal what Paul is saying. Like, it should blow all of our minds. I should see purple dust everywhere as heads explode. Because what Paul is saying is no longer do we go to a place where God dwells with his people, but God dwells with his people in his people. We are the temple now. And you see, friends, this is what separates our religion from every other religion. It really does. In every other religion, you go to a certain place. There's a sacred place where you meet with God. And Jesus says, no longer is there a sacred place to meet with God because God dwells within us. The spirit of the living God lives within Blake Farley. I'm a piece of the brand new temple of God. This is outstanding. This should blow all of our minds as we try to wrap our minds around what it means to be the temple of God. Um, I I was uh, sitting next to a guy on a plane flying to Washington, D.C., and this guy was of, of another religious faith, but I could tell he wasn't really bought into the faith. You know, it's just something he did. And uh, he was kind of talking to me. So I hate saying by people on planes sometimes because I know they're going to ask me what I do for a living. And that question is so hard to answer when you're a pastor. Because uh, for one, especially I was flying, and I was flying into a, a bigger city, so I, I didn't know like, what this guy's faith journey was. or I didn't, I didn't know anything about him, right? So when he asked me what I do for a living, I had a choice. I could like, lie to the guy, say I'm in sales which is not totally a lie, right? Like, I'm trying to sell you guys Jesus. Uh, or I could be honest and say I'm a pastor. And when I say I'm a pastor, it usually goes one of three ways. Number one, the person, like, gets really awkward around me and just shuts down. They don't talk to me anymore the rest of the flight, which sometimes that's a good thing. It's like, I'm a pastor and I put the headphones on. Uh, sorry, I'm terrible. You guys are way better than me. You talk to people next to you. I know you do. Uh, or number two, they, they, they see me as, like, their counselor. And uh, they start pouring out their life issues to me because I say I'm a pastor. And it's like, man, I really, I'm just trying to fly to Washington right now. You know, like, I'm sorry about your dog. Uh, Or like, it's a person who before this point has been cursing a whole bunch, you know, and they stop cursing and they start using really religious language. I'm like, please just go back to who you were five minutes ago. Uh, Or we have like a a spiritual conversation. And and so I I decided to be a Christian and I was like, "I'm, I'm a pastor of a church. And this guy... Uh, really became amazed. And the part that amazed him about my faith was when we started talking about our worship. He said, well, my faith is just like your faith. You know, I go to a, I go to a temple, you go to a church, and I, and I try to be a good person, and I do the best I can. And I said, well, actually, 
I think my faith is a lot different because I actually don't believe I go to a church. I believe I am the church. And you should have seen this guy's eyes. He was like, what do you mean you are the church? And I said, yeah. And at this time, it really worked out well because we were planting Ascent. And so Ascent had two members. It was me and Taylor. And <laughs> our dog decided to join about a week later, grew to three. And, and so I was talking to this guy, and I said, we're actually starting a new church. And he said, do you have, do you have any money? And I said, no, we don't have any money. He said, where's your building? I said, well, we actually we don't have a building. And uh, he said, so does the government give you money for that? Or how does that work? <laughs> no, they don't. They don't give us any money. And uh, this guy was just bewildered. He said, well, how in the world is this going to work? What's, how do you even do that? And I, I began to explain to him how I believe that Jesus was the essence of all truth. That there, there are uh, shreds of truth in all religions. In fact, that's why some religions take off to the extent that they do. Because they're tapping into truth that is embedded into the world. But Jesus comes and He comes to say, I'm the fulfillment of all that truth. The God you've been searching for is right here. I am the truth. I am the, the, not just the shreds of truth, but I am all of it. It all culminates in me. And I've come and my temple, my dwelling place is with my people, the church. This is amazing, friends. And this is why some of you, you get annoyed at me because when you say, hey, Blake, uh, what time is church? Or you say, Blake, is church canceled? Uh, are we meeting at the church? I'll be a smart out to you and I'll say, the church is canceled? What happened? Did Jesus tell us this? Like, wh- when was the church canceled? And you guys are like, I'm talking about Sunday morning. But the, the, reason, <laughs> the reason I do that, and I'm so, I, I'm, I'm so specific about it, is because of this text. Like, think how different it would be if we viewed ourselves everywhere we went as the temple of God. That when people want to connect with the God of this universe, they should be able to find him in us. <laughs> how amazing is that? And, and how, how differently would you treat yourself if you viewed yourself as the temple of God? And I, I, I don't know, but I, I think I'd probably be a little bit more aware of God's presence around me. I'd be a little less likely to go off in, in some of the, the sinful areas and habits and addictions and brokenness that I have in my own life if I truly believed that God was with me at all times, that his presence was ever more with me and that the sacrifice had already been made and that there, there was nothing separating me from God, but I had full access to him. Friends, I, I pray that for ascent, we would be living this out. And it's why in two weeks, we're actually not going to have a gathering like this. We're going to come, we're going to take communion, and then we're going to go out, we're going to serve our community. You know why? Because this is not the temple. This is not any more sacred place. This is a bar, so it's probably less sacred on some nights. <laughs> We used to have prom here uh, when I went with Taylor, uh, and, and it was not sacred at that time at all. Saw some things I wish I wouldn't have saw. That's neither here nor there. The sacredness is within us. It's wherever we are, friends. So we're going to go out and we're going to be the temple of God. That if people want to experience what God is like, they should be able to experience it through us. Super powerful. Josh, if you want to go ahead and uh, come up and Briley. We are now going to worship, and hopefully I did a good enough job because it makes me want to shout from the rooftops uh, that Jesus did this, that he turned the structure upside down on its head, that I'm no better than you, you're no better than me. We are all on equal footing when it comes to God through Jesus Christ. He is our priest, and we are all little, little priests under him, that if people want to dwell with God, who do they come to? They should be able to come to the church and experience him. Father God, I pray that this would be true of ascent. I pray that it would be true of all of us in this room. God, that we would realize that the living Spirit of God dwells within us. He really does. 
Lord, I pray that we would live as though we are the place in which God meets humanity, in which heaven meets earth, or that you dwell amongst your people. You're no longer confined to a place, but you now have a people, and we are that people. Father, I pray that if there's anybody here today who is not a part of that people, they thought church was just a place you went or some things you did, Lord, that today they would make the decision to say, I'm going to be a part of the people. I want to be adopted into the family of God. I trust in you, Jesus, to be that sacrifice I need. My good works will not do it, but your good works are totally satisfactory. And in you, I trust. But I pray that that's the prayer of somebody today. And it's in your name I pray. Amen. Friends, let's stand and sing to this God. Thanks for tuning in to the Ascent Church podcast. You can check in with us on social media at My Ascent Church. New episodes each week. Thanks. Thanks.